Hey, everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Welcome to the Busy Mom Podcast. Hey, I want to remind you, for those of you who are new to the podcast, I do this podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, just 15 minutes every podcast, and just hopefully a shot in the arm of encouragement to you. Uh, I am a Christian woman, and so these podcasts are always going to point you back to the one that brings life and peace in the middle of a hurting world. And so I hope that it's encouraging to you. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you're enjoying it, I would love it if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review. You can do that by just clicking on the Busy Mom podcast and the little gear shift thing, and it will let you actually rate the podcast and leave a review. If you don't like the podcast, I'd actually like to hear from you about it. You can email me at podcast at thebusymom.com with your show ideas, with questions that you'd like to see addressed here. My passion really is to teach women the word of God in the midst of the culture. And so I'm talking about all kinds of things that related uh, to just walking out this life the way that God would, uh, in a way that would be honoring to God. So check it out over at um, iTunes. You can subscribe there. You can also subscribe by going to thebusymom.com. I am getting ready, women, to launch a Bible study series, an online Bible study. We're going to be sort of testing something out that we're going to be growing uh, Lord willing, in the days ahead, just an online Bible study, and we will do it once a week. We'll use one of the episodes of the podcast every week, and the leaders will be able, if you're a leader um, in one of these groups, you'll be able to go and download the material, and you'll be able to share it with those people around you. Those are printable material that will help you really get into the Word and flesh out and and filter through the grid of scripture, what is happening in the culture around you so that you can be exactly who God says he wants you to be, which is prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. So um, stay tuned for that. If you're not subscribed to the blog, I really want to encourage you to do that. Everyone who is subscribed to the blog and to the podcast, you are going to be the first people that hear about this when it launches in the middle of September. And so we're hoping, and pretty soon there's going to be a sign-up list. So I will announce that here at the podcast, but it will go out in an email. And we really really want you to be subscribed to the blog so that you can be the first to do that. Also want to remind you that we are bringing Fearless to the different parts of the country this year. Fearless in Indianapolis is getting pretty full. If you have not signed up for that yet, it's not too late to do that. That uh, I think that's happening in the middle of, in the reverse part of October. And then we will be in Tampa, Florida in November. If there was ever a good time of year to go to Tampa, it is November. And so that might might or might not have been the Holy Spirit trying to get us to go to Florida in November, (laughs) but we're heading down there. So if you are interested in bringing your peeps and coming to hear me speak, I do a day and a half workshop for women and is a life changing event. And you will leave encouraged and inspired and excited about what God is doing, not only in the lives of other women, but what he wants to do in your life. So check that out. Also on October 7th, here in Vancouver, Washington, where I am proudly from, we are going to be unveiling the new retreat for next year, the new women's conference. That theme is redeemed. And so if you're in this area, registration for that just opened up. That event is sure to sell out. So it's a one it's a one evening uh, about an hour and a half, two hours long, and you are going to love it. We're going to serve you dessert. We're going to debut a whole bunch of really fun stuff. We're going to do a bunch of fun giveaways. So share this with your friends. Let them know, hey, registration for Redeemed in October is open. So head on out over there and check that out. All right. Today, I want to talk a little bit about suffering. Uh, we have, we're experiencing that we're seeing an awful lot of suffering in the world around us right now. And 
God has a purpose in suffering, but I want to kind of give you a little bit of background as to why I want to talk about this. I just discovered from a friend of mine that an extremely sad and disturbing uh, story has come out of California, who has used their California's new assisted suicide law to kill herself. Uh, she threw a party that was uh, two days before. It was No, it was a two-day party, basically, that she threw for herself uh, to sort of an end-of-life party. And uh, I grieve for this family. And her suffering, it does not go unseen by the Lord. And certainly my husband and I have walked through the suffering of many people in our lives, uh, not the least of which were my grand my grandparents. And Jay and I, because of his role as a pastor, have been around many people at the end of their lives. And I'm telling you, life is a beautiful thing. Life is a gift. And suffering can have meaning. And in the end, what is needed is absolute trust, like I talked about last week, and an un wavering confidence that God is at work in the midst of it. So I want to sort of tell you what's going on in California so that you can be, first of all, be praying about it because Governor Jerry Brown, surprise, is the guy who signed this uh, bill into law. And if you read the story, I'm going to link back to it. It's found over at voices uh, or voiceofsandiego.org and the, and it's under the commentary that the uh, article is called What I Learned helping my sister use California's new law to end her life. And I'll just read to you uh, uh, just a little bit of it. And there's pictures of her in her wheelchair as they're putting her into a Tesla to drive her up to a hillside where she ultimately drank poison and killed herself. But the article starts out like this, and it's it was written by the sister. So keep in mind, this is written uh, coming from obviously what is a very emotional and painful uh situation that this family found themselves in when this young woman was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. It says, less than two months after the state's new aid in dying measure went into effect, my sister used the law to obtain a lethal dose of drugs. I'd rather be free than entombed in my body, she told me. Uh, does that sound familiar to you? Like maybe the line from a movie that just came out? Eerie. Anyway, she goes on to say, last August, my sister Betsy asked if I knew anything about using Bitcoin, a form of virtual currency. It took me a while to realize why she was asking. She wanted to buy a lethal amount of drugs and she didn't want the purchase to be traceable. A beautiful, outgoing, talented artist, Betsy was diagnosed with ALS in July of 2013. It's a cruel disease that slowly robs a person of the ability to move, speak, eat, and eventually breathe. There is no treatment, let alone a cure, and there won't likely be for several years. Early on, she knew she'd rather take her own life than succumb to a disease that kills most of his patients through suffocation. Some ALS patients use ventilators and feeding tubes to prolong their lives, but that's not what my sister wanted. And over the last year, I watched her increasingly struggle to eat and speak and do the simple things the rest of us take for granted, like scratch an itch or brush a stray hair from her eyes. No longer able to walk, she spent most of the day in bed. I'm losing my strength in my arms and hands quickly, she wrote to me in an email last year. I don't want to live my life paralyzed, eating through a tube in my stomach and communicating through a machine. I'd rather be free than entombed in my body. A month before she asked me about Bitcoin, an aid in dying bill had stalled in the state assembly's health committee. Three of the six committee members, under pressure from the Catholic Church, and despite having watched parents die from a terminal illness, refused to support it. And she goes on to say that she grew up Catholic. And she says, I went to Catholic school where we were taught 
Jesus' final words on the cross when he can no longer take the suffering. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Tell me, how is that not aid in dying? Now, I want to stop right here because for Jesus to cry out to his Father and say, into my hands I commend my spirit, he knew that he was on the verge of death. He wasn't committing suicide. And he wasn't, and for us, for her to say, how is that not aid in dying? I'm pretty sure that we, we have all done that. I did that as I sat with my grandfather and watched him die. We did that when my father's husband, uh, right around two years ago, became suddenly ill. And within 48 hours, he had died also. And I'll tell you what, you want to see aid in dying? You pray over a person who's dying and you call out to God on behalf of that person. You do not hand them a Molotov cocktail of poison and call that aid in dying. And then it equate that to Jesus on the cross. There's no comparison at all. So she goes on to say, thanks to Assemblywoman Susan Eggman, the End of Life Option Act was resurrected in mid-August 2015, passed and signed into law by Governor Jerry Brown the following month. Brown is a Catholic. This is astonishing to me as well. Brown is a Catholic and many were unsure whether he'd sign the bill. In a poignant signing message explaining his decision, Brown wrote, I do not know what I would do if I were a dying person in prolonged and excruciating pain. I am certain, however, that I would be a comfort, that it would be a comfort to be able to consider the options afforded by this bill, and I would not deny that right to others. This is the same reasoning that we are using in this country to promote and expand and excuse abortion. It's exactly the same reasoning. He's saying, listen, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would do it for myself, but I couldn't deny that right to somebody else. Let me just read you what happened, uh, what I read off of Life News, and I'll link back to this today, uh, lifenews.com recently. And they were talking about a French midwife who in 2015 told her story of encountering a baby boy who'd been born alive after an abortion attempt. The report was released by the European Center for Law and Justice with the intent of educating the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe on what happens to babies who survive their abortions. It was the first day of her new internship in the maternity department. The midwife, identified as MJ, was with a male nurse when they were given rolled-up white sheets from a recent abortion. They were instructed to check for any instruments before putting the sheets in the laundry. MJ and the male nurse were shocked to discover a living baby had been wrapped in the sheet. We opened the sheet, removed all the compresses, and discovered a lot of clotted blood. We discovered within the blood a mass that was a baby and he was still breathing. We were shocked, MJ said. When another nurse came in and they told her about the baby, she simply told them to put him in a basin and wait. When another nurse entered, they questioned her. What happened to the mother? She did what she had to do to abort and lost most of the blood, expelling the fetus, and she is now in the operating room. It's unclear if she'll make it. My colleague and I strayed near the fetus who was breathing heavily with increasing spaces between each breath. It felt like time had stopped. We were there to look at him, this little living being, talking to him and stroking his little body through a drape for 45 minutes at least, when he finally stopped breathing, and we left him on his tray. Most infants born alive in abortion facilities aren't even cleaned or swaddled. Instead, they are left to die alone in a clinic filled with medical personnel. This is an extraordinary uh, moment for this country. We are deciding as a nation right now that, that there is no purpose in suffering. And I want to tell you today, God says that there is a purpose in suffering and that we are not alone in our suffering and that the answer to suffering is not suicide and it is not to take the life of another human being. 
1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. In Romans 8, verses 18 to 23, the Apostle Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creator, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. John sixteen thirty three. I have told you these things so that in them you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The purpose of our trials on this earth as believers is to strengthen our faith. And as we go through suffering, and I'll never forget this as long as I live because of of the many times that I have been around dying people, there is something profound that happens in the life of a human being who is preparing to meet the Lord. And there is something profound that we miss as human beings when we discard our suffering as meaningless. And it's not meaningless. God says that He wants to meet us in our suffering, that He wants us to trust Him, that He is our refuge and our strength. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. We need to have trust in the Lord. I want to end this podcast by just ending the story uh, for you, for this woman. So she has a party. She, her, uh, Betsy emailed her closest friends and family. She invited them to her house for a two-day celebration. You are very brave in sending me off on my journey, she wrote in an email to her guests. Thank you so much for traveling the physical and emotional distance for me. These circumstances are unlike any party you have ever attended before, requiring emotional stamina, centeredness, and openness. There was just one rule, she wrote. Do not cry in front of me. It, it, it's almost, I'm almost speechless. More than 30 people showed up to help send Betsy on what, she, on what she referred to as her next great adventure. We ate pizza and tamales, her sister writes. There was music, booze, and lots of photos. Under her guidance, I put sticky notes next to items around the house explaining their significance. Then she invited everyone to take a Betsy souvenir to remember her. Around 6.30 p.m. on July 24th, all three of her truly incredible caregivers helped her change into a kimono she'd bought in Japan. A family friend drove her in his new Tesla, as if that means anything. I'm, uh, a family friend drove her in his new Tesla up a hillside next to the house where we'd placed a white canopy and a makeshift bed. She wanted to fall asleep as the sun was setting. My sister is an example of exactly what the law intended to do, allow a dying young woman the ability to assert control over the chaos and the uncertainty of terminal illness. She turned death into a reason to celebrate, and she was there to enjoy the party. Opponents of the aid in dying law have argued that there's a potential for abuse, that chronically ill people could be coerced or compelled into taking their own lives so they're no longer a burden. But the law has safeguards to ensure that doesn't happen, right? 
the law also abortion laws are supposed to have safeguards too. And I just want to tell you out loud that that they don't they don't work. Since uh, her death. This woman says she's spoken to the National Policy Director for Compassion and Choice as a group that advocates aid in dying. She told me that anyone unable to obtain secondal should ask their pharmacist to call Compassion and Choice's pharmacist-to-pharmacist line, and they will help them find it. So her sister was not able to find secondal, which I guess is the gold standard for suicide drugs. Kind of, She calls it the, uh, the aid in dying gold standard. It wasn't available. They were given different reasons why. Um, but it was backordered for three months, or that it was so infrequently prescribed that the pharmacist who, f- who fulfilled the prescription for the necessary 100 pills would attract unwanted attention from the DEA. Instead, Betsy was prescribed a combination of morphine, uh, phenobarbital, and chlorohydrate. Not ideal, but we did our best to mask the taste with coconut milk, sugar, and a little salt. She took the medication. Now, she calls it a medication. It's just the wording here is just, it's heartbreaking to me because I understand that she's in pain, but this is not the solution. She took medication. She took the medication around uh, 6.45 p.m. and within a few minutes slipped into a coma. Four hours later, she peacefully departed to her next adventure. There was at some point in the, the article, she said that her sister did not commit suicide. And men and women, this is suicide. It, it could be called murder. I mean, there's a couple different ways that, that you can look at it. But the point is, we are not valuing life in the culture because we have forgotten that God says that there's a purpose to our life, that he knew us before we were born, that there is meaning in suffering, and there is life after death. And at some point, we're going to answer to the Lord. I just want to encourage you today, those of you who are suffering, many of you are listening to this, I know, and I know I'm going a few minutes over today, I apologize. Many of you are listening to this, and you are watching someone that you love suffering. Some of you are listening to this and you're suffering emotional pain. It has nothing to do with a terminal illness, but you sometimes wonder if you can continue living with it. And God says in his word that he is near to the brokenhearted. The Bible says that God is so near to you that he wants you to call on his name and know that he's there. I can tell you as a woman who has experienced a tremendous amount of suffering in my own life, that the moments that I have felt my absolute darkest are when the Lord has shown up in such extraordinary ways that it actually is life-changing. And the same thing is true in the process of dying. God is near to the brokenhearted. He wants us to cry out to Him for help. Psalm 34, verses 17 through 20, tells us, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Men and women, God wants to be next to you. He wants to heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. And when we uh, run from him, when we use excuses like we we're afraid of suffering, we are negating the power of God to do the thing that he says that he'll do if only we'll let him. There really is a thing called peace that passes understanding. And the reason it passes understanding is because it is not able to be understood by the person who has not yet experienced it. But having been there and watched several people in my own life who I loved pass into the presence of the Lord. I'm here to tell you right now that when the Lord comes and he meets that person in the midst of their suffering, amazing 
things happen. It really is a peace. We are not just uh, a temporary body. We are a soul that inhabits a body. And God wants to use us from the very beginning of our life to the very end of it to bring glory to Him. That's the purpose in suffering. Ultimately, is to bring glory to the Lord and to trust Him in the process. I'll see you back here next time at the Busy Mom Podcast. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.